Hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads. It's the only podcast on the net dedicated, oh, a certain percentage to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leadout. I am Jeff. And I am Dave. And this is 2017. We're going into the ninth year of our show. Which is, is it nine years? Yeah. It'll be nine years in April, I think, or March. Which is amazing. That's a long time. That Not many podcasts last time. that long. Still trying to hit episode 200. Yeah. Now, some people have said, please continue on past 200, but um, I don't know. We'll see. We, oh, yeah, I we can't know. predict the future. Why <laughs> well, even predict? Why even say? We're awful tired tonight. So Yeah, we're a little tired tonight. Like, I think I'm, I'm feeling like I'm losing my steam. Yeah. But uh, you want to normally do, it we do this some other time? It's so much fun, you know, to do. So. Yeah, it is. It always is. Yeah. We're just tired. You know what? It's the end of the year. We're winding down <laughs> like the like Ready old father a, time. <laughs> Ready I'm, for a good break. When I when I was little, I used to watch. Uh, there was a morning show, Ray Rayner, who we mentioned last show, uh-huh. a local TV personality. I think it was on Ray Rayner's show. Oh, Dave needs a glass. A cup, a glass. Here we go. Needs a glass. A glass for you, yeah. sir. Please stop drinking right on yeah, the Ray Rayner's show. You were saying. And he would have at the end of the year a short thing about Father Time and how Father Time at the With end the of the baby? year was an old man and, yeah, and he withers away. He withers away and then a baby comes in. And I my friend down the street, Timmy Riccardotti, <laughs> would watch this at the end of every year and just be bawling because <laughs> it was so it's like, Oh, Father Time He's gone. Oh. It was the Yeah. Timmy. Timmy, if you're out there, I, I still think about you, buddy. Funny how that stuff hits you. Yeah, it really is. My brother was afraid of the dancing bear on the... on From uh, Captain Kangaroo? Captain Kangaroo. Yeah. Well, he was frightening. He would come out yeah. and he, my brother would leave the room. Yeah. You know what was weird about him is he wouldn't talk. And I think that, that was frightening. He just had that big uh, bear head on. Or maybe it was a real bear. Well... No, I don't think it was a real bear. No, it wasn't a real bear. It was a man with a bear head on and a flat butt, as I recall. Maybe there was a real bear inside the bear costume. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> I mean, we don't really know. <laughs> and and uh, Captain Kangaroo, in his inimitable he, wisdom... He wasn't a kangaroo. ...chose to name uh, this dancing bear character... Remember the name of him? No. Dancing Bear. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay, that's like, why. Wow, is that clever. Can you come up with a name? How about Dancing Bear? Yeah. So he didn't like Dancing Bear. And he so he was Your brother was younger than you? Older. Older than he, you. My my mom was telling me he was afraid of the dancing yeah. bear. I don't really remember it. But he scary because he didn't talk? I think that's a little weird. So do you think there's a connection there with clowns? I do. Do they yes. talk? No. Well, some do. Yeah, some talk too much. Yeah, you don't want them to talk. Bozo talking. talk, but a lot yeah. of them don't talk. Yeah, a lot of them don't talk. Well, and mimes don't talk. And they're scary, too. Have you ever seen a mime? like a, a Marcel Marceau. Yeah. I, have you seen Marcel Marceau? Yeah. Did you? In the movie. No. I, oh, okay. I saw him live on stage. You did? I did. It was, Who took you to it that? Was, it was really uh, a remarkable experience because I was in my mid-20s. I was living in Madison at the time, and Marcel Marceau performed at the at the Oscar Mayer Theater in downtown Madison, which was a very nice theater, actually. Very good acoustics and all that. Anyway, I went, I've seen several acts there. And uh, 
But you know, I'm used to seeing concerts. I saw uh, PDQ Bach there. Okay, I kind of remember and that. His, was it a band? He was a comedian with a, with a small orchestra. Okay. And he did funny things. And I saw the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields there performing at a couple of different times and, and other orchestral things. Anyway, Marcel Marceau, it's all perfectly quiet. There's no music or anything. He just comes out on stage and does his mime stuff. And there's no talking and there's no music. And it's just him doing it. It was just... Did it work, though? Um, you know, really gets very intriguing after a while and enveloping. And then, but you're, you're aching for the end of the bit so that people can applaud because you can tell people are just, because <laughs> it's just aching. Yes, because it's just too quiet. But yeah, I saw him there in concert and, and he, if I recall correctly, he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything at all throughout the entire thing. But I, I was, it was great to see him. It was, he was quite a talent for that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. I'm thinking more about this quiet thing. So maybe that's why, like, I think elephants are scary. They don't talk either. At the mm. zoo? Well, I don't know. Which zoo do you go quiet. to? Which they, zoo do you go to? No, they trumpet, but they don't yeah. talk. No. And I told you about the penguin movie when Aaron, there was the, you know, several penguin movies around Happy Feet. And oh, the, yeah. Those mm. Cool spy penguins. Yes, right. That TV show is actually very, very funny. Is it? Yeah, those spy pen- penguins. Um, and but then out came March of the Penguins, and it was the documentary of the real penguins. Oh, about the emperor penguins yeah. in South uh, Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. Have I told you this one before? No. So we take Aaron to March of the Penguins, and we're watching it, and it's being narrated by. Um, Oh, the narrator's just talking the whole time. About 20 minutes in, and he, he leans over and he says, Dad, when are the penguins going to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> oh, that would be disappointing. Yeah. So, no, no it's not that kind of a yeah. penguin movie. <laughs> That's very disappointing when you are when you go into a movie expecting one thing and it turns out to be something talking different. Talking penguins that yeah. are entertaining, not these... Real penguins. That happened to us yesterday. We put in, uh, my wife and I uh, put in a movie. The kids brought over A Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey, uh-huh. which came out in 2009. Yeah. And we were, we'd not seen it. We thought it was a live action Christmas Carol. Hmm. And it was, of course, all animated. And we were about five minutes into it. And we looked at each other and like, oh, this is animated. And we we're like, uh, we don't want to see it with now. It? We stuck with it and it was Amazing. Oh, good. It was amazing. It was good? Yeah. If you've not seen it, I recommend it. I thought the acting was just over the top amazing. Really one of the best Christmas Carol presentations I've ever seen. Animated. But it was animated. So how do you qualify that as acting? The voice acting. I thought (laughs) the the voice characterizations were amazing, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. For what that's worth. Oh. So anyway, I don't know how we got on all that, but... Perfect banner top. Yes, I guess so. Should we jump right in? Yeah, we've got some uh, ASL stuff to talk about since last show. We left people kind of on a oh. cliffhanger. And we're going to leave them hanging on the cliff a little while longer. No, we're not tonight. We're going to wrap this up. Oh, we're going to jump right into it? We are. Do you think that's wise?
that means it's time for letters. Thank you, Adam. Adam Kleinschmidt on the vibes. Or do you, is it a xylophone? Is xylophone and vibes the same thing? I do not know. Okay. And I've seen a lot of his concerts and oh, performances. Yeah. Well, maybe you can, if you remember to ask him, I'd like to know. Do you know, one of the letters I have, we have, Jeff, in our little stack is are from Matthias Elfstrom. Mm-hmm. That covered our controversy. Yes. And I think he just wanted us to look these over and see what we thought. And yeah, I remember reading them roughly and being hard to track, you know, personally myself. And um, I mean, they're they're excellent articles. And he's got all these diagrams and historical uh, illustrations. He even has an illustration here about the covered arc. Look at that from Starter Kit. Yeah. And the rule is saying, like, both sides can occupy the same hex outside of close combat and squad leader. Cross of Iron and so on, GI. Uh, so just really great. Uh, I don't think he wanted, you know, us to cover. I think he was looking. Well, he says, I've become involved in a rules debate regarding the application of covered arc rules. Written an article and has been responded by Perry in the process of writing a second part, somewhat controversial and involves both the evolution of the rules and some realism a- a- aspects. Yeah, he asked for our comments and yeah. You know, I'm thinking, uh, and then I, I think he was asking to get it published. So I recommend it like Bonsai or, or MMP. And I don't know if they'll ever publish this article, but it's really yeah. beautifully designed, Matthias, and well laid out. And mostly what he's talking about, can I say in a, in a nutshell? Yes. In a nutshell, he's saying that the rules in the rule book specifically don't, when they're talking about covered arc for an AFV or a gun, they don't specifically include the hex in which the vehicle or gun is residing. In all of the illustrations, they talk about the hexes just adjacent to the hex occupied by the gun or vehicle and the covered arc contained by those hexes. But he says, but what about the hex that the gun is in or, the, in. or the AFE is in? And it, and it, he makes some very good arguments about why it makes a difference and why it, it's the fact that it's unclear is a little bit of a conundrum, creates a bit of a conundrum. And so it goes to great lengths to to describe why why there is a difference and why it why he thinks it should be officially clarified by MMP. So and I thought it was yeah, I agree. Very well done. Very well illustrated and uh and laid out and gone through history and lots of different rules and he's had a lot of different people look at it. Yeah, since part two, he's got a response from Perry in here. But maybe we could interview Matthias. Interview you on that. Yeah. Oh, that would be um, great. Rather than us trying to cover all the material in here. Yeah. But it's just so impressive the way you've got this put together and written up. So, Or we can post it on the website if you'd like us to do that. Yeah. To get it set, get it dispersed, get it out into the public. So. Yeah, because if MMP doesn't specifically want to do something address the issue for whatever reason maybe we can get a uh, grassroots movement going yeah maybe bernie sanders could lead this maybe he's, so he's probably got stuff uh, he's got some he's time got some time. time now openings in his schedule yeah so anyway i'm going to destar these but we have them here and we'll post them if you want let us know matthias we interrupt this program for a special news bulletin this just in from dave goldman 
the ASL Open is coming to Chicago, as it has for many years past. Many years. And will for many years to come. Will Coleman in Chicago, the 2017 ASL Open, will take place Thursday, March 30th, through Sunday, April 2nd. The first round starts promptly at 2 p.m. on Thursday. And uh, same location as last year, this will be held at the Holiday Inn in Chicago O'Hare. At the Chicago O'Hare Holiday Inn. Yes, on North Cumberland Avenue. The fee is $30 for pre-registration. That's before February 14th. 2017, and $37 after that. The hotel, if you're going to stay there at the hotel, is $102.95 per night. Woo! If you want to stay at Dave Kleinschmidt's house, it's $312.25 per night, and you have to bring your own towels. That is correct. And if it's if you want to stay at Jeff Hallett's house, we're sorry, there's no room available at this time. <laughs> There is a mini-tournament, which uh, any player can play starting on Friday. Round three, without a win, will be placed in the three-round mini-tournament, which starts 6.30 on Friday. I love that idea. Multi-mini-tournament winners will each win a plaque. That's with a I have a lot of plaque on my I didn't want to say anything about that. but Oh, this is an important part of this announcement. No T-shirts will be available this year. The ASL Open World's Best Dice Rolling Cup will be available for $8 each or two for $15. I was thinking of grabbing them. Yeah. What do you think of the no T-shirt I'm idea? okay with that. I yeah. got enough T-shirts. Yeah, maybe maybe there's enough T-shirts. Yeah, in the world. Yeah. Uh, prizes, plaques will be awarded for the top three finishers, which he said. Raffle, once again, there'll be a great raffle with ASL and ASL-related prizes. Please bring an item or two to contribute. Please, no books and no two half squads hats. No, he didn't. No, he said no books though. He did say no books. Yeah, no books, which I I can I can imagine. The raffle I remember in years past kind of went on a long time because everybody brought tons of books. Well, we love to read. We do war books, but it's yeah. It it took. I think he just thought it was too much time. So maybe he could just have a table with free books. Oh, that's a good idea. People can bring their books, lay them out there, and just right take one. Yeah, you could probably do do that also with uh, liquor, uh, liquor swap. If you want to do that, bring liquor that you don't like that Leave you got in the there, house and we'll you can swap it out. Dave just finished something. We, we're not sure what it was, but it was in a bottle here. Yeah, and he bravely drank it. It's okay. It's perking me up a little. Yeah, a little bit. Not not that much. <laughs> oh, I, I'm wishing I knew what it was. If you'd like more information about the tournament, you can call Dave. But uh, I'll just give you the. Uh, Dave's email address, and we could also post it on the show. And we tweeted it the out. The show notes. Already. And it, but it is frango1000 at sbcglobal.net. All righty. And I would like to also say, here's a scenario listing. There are quite a few scenarios. I believe the sort of the layout of the of the tournament this year is a little bit longer scenarios. Fewer t- scenarios and longer scenarios. Not fewer scenarios, but fewer scenarios will be played but they will be longer scenarios. And uh, there are such scenarios as Mook Point, Tiger in Flames, I'll just name a few, No Sample Victory, Ceramic City, Pot of Stew, Anatoly's Ambush. Oh, yeah, there's some great ones on here. How come I haven't heard of them? Yeah. I, uh, a lot of third-party ones in yeah. these things, too. And I like this, that he has published his uh, tournament sort of uh, rules, where he talks about all the, you know, how many rounds of play and how people will get points, how those will be awarded and all the rules. Dave will send you all of this stuff. Dave Goldman, that is. 
And then there are ASL tournament special rules, like house rules. Kindling is N.A. for the entire tournament. No. Yeah. Kindling is N.A. Are you serious? Yeah. That's an ASL tournament special rule. It's called the TSR. This is version 1.4. But that's what Bob Banizik does all the time, not yep. Banizik, uh, Bob Bendis. Bob Bendis can't do it. Wow. Number two, AFV abandonment. AFV crews cannot voluntarily abandon, abandon their, their vehicles. vehicles. So go take, yeah. And the yeah. rationale behind this is yeah. it's sleazy to mm -hmm. seize victory locations that, in this manner. That makes sense. Yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah. He, I, I like that he's getting this right out, right at the front. Uh, vehicular gun self-destruction. AFE crews cannot self-destruct or malfunction their main armament or uh, support armament. So then they could get out of the vehicle? SA, support armament? Side, uh, side MA and side SA. Side armament. Side armament, armament. Second, yeah. Secondary, secondary, secondary armament. That, that's it, yeah, for those vehicles that have those, those little, little things. And rationale, because that can be used for abandonment sleaze. Has he banned having your British troops stop for tea time? Uh, we'll also? we'll see. There's a few more to, to list here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I like, I'm liking this. I feel bad about that. Number four, four, the Pleva OBA rule. Each red card or chit drawn per C1.21 is mixed back into the pile along with another red card or chit. Battery access is never lost due to drawing two red card chits. I would hope not. I like that rule. The extra card draw mechanics remain the same, and the rationale is to ensure that an equitable amount of fire missions for each module. Yes. Why haven't we done this officially with all this? I don't know. I. I that's a good one, though. Dave Goldman, trailblazer. He is. He is. The man among men. Uh, regarding fire lanes, fire lane residual firepower attacks are made at the discretion of the possessor of the machine gun's fire lane. What does that mean? Is there a rationale for Rationale. That? To avoid witnessing a vehicle running up and down the fire lane in a bid to cause its cancellation. Oh. <laughs> because, I don't think I've ever even read that. Oh, because if you roll doubles on a fire lane, yeah, right, it cowers and, and, yeah. and the fire lane goes away. So I never would have thought of doing this with a vehicle, but I guess that... Would it, would it have to be an open-top vehicle? It has to probably be a... Uh, Something a with a legal target, target, a viable target. Yeah. So seems a little risky, but I, I guess you could do it. Still, you still get the plus two of the, the vehicle yeah. if you're in a. Yeah. Anyway, snow drifts. The second mm. sentence. Yes. Go ahead. The second sentence of E three point seven five changed as follows. Uh, the bold part is the change. So here's the main part. Drift placement is resolved by making a random location die roll, now in bold, from the sniper counter of the player or the opponent's sniper counter, if not on map. Now this is back to the regular rules. Having rolled a heavy wind gust result. Are you following this? Mm -mm. So this is drift placement. Well, if you get a heavy wind, I think it can create a drift. So drift placement is resolved by making a random location die roll from the sniper counter. Of the player okay. or the opponent's sniper counter, if not on map. Rationale: It takes too much time to place the drift counter with standard rules. Sure, that's easy. Okay. Okay. So make it's it just, quick and easy. Yeah, I guess it was complicated. I guess so. 
Never, uh, never played with snow. Well, I yeah, I guess I have played a couple, but, but not. We, we didn't. We didn't have, yeah, we didn't have drifts. Regarding radios and phones, radios and phones may not be worn, and nobody may talk on the phone. Or no, radios and phones. Radios and phones malfunction on a radio contact maintenance die roll of twelve. Radios have a repair number of two. Phones have a repair number value of one. Both have no break number. The so ration- you don't lose your whole OBA from just a breakage. My shim. guess is that, yeah. Uh, he says, rationale, OBA is so fickle yet so powerful that some li- limited adjustments sure. to limit non-availability are necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the scenario could eventually, you could go through all the trouble of setting up the scenario, break your radio in the first turn, and it's like, why even continue yeah, playing? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And uh, take away snowball fights, though, back in that Snowball story. fights, are, yeah, they're, no, they're still allowed. Okay, good. But you can't wear pants. During the snowball fight. V, uh, okay, number eight, vehicular flamethrower uh, to kill numbers. In C, uh-huh. 7.344, exchange, exchange the last sentence for the following ones. Factors like CX, TEM, smoke, hindrance, uh, use do not modify the basic TK number. The following factors do reduce the basic TK number by two for each instance. Motion slash nonstop target, motion slash nonstop firer, and concealed target. Case A modifiers also reduce the basic TK if applicable. Rationale. Lift, lift the immunity of flamethrower AFV TK attempts to common sense modifiers. Okay. So what the modifiers that are being removed are CX, TEM, smoke, and hindrance. Those do not modify flamethrower decay numbers. But motion and motion targets and motion firers and concealed targets do. Okay. I'm not sure I like that as much, but... You know, because why why should a CX or TEM, or excuse me, or smoke hindrance modify a flamethrower It's just going to just go right through the smoke, I yeah, guess. I guess. Uh, number nine, there's a few, should I go through the, yeah, there's three more of these. Okay, then Four. we'll finish it off. Number nine, huts. Huts cannot catch fire for any reason. Oh, because of his easier, earlier prohibition. Yeah. Huts, uh, rationale, huts catching fire can ruin many PTO building control scenarios. Number 10, wire. Amendment to B26.53, whenever, a, uh, uh, the bold part is the event, amendment, I'll, I'll do the bold with the little echo. Okay. Whenever a fully tracked vehicle passes a bog check when entering a wire hex through non-VBM, it removes that wire counter from the hex if the colored die roll of the bog die roll is one. So the rationale is this removes the sleaze of a oh, spinning AFV around in the hex in the yes. hex in a bid to remove the wire. Sure, but but that might be historical. That's I can imagine some Russians me too running their tanks up and down the wire. I'd never read about it in a book yeah. or saw it in a movie. Yeah, we'd have to ask some Russians. Uh, number eleven, upper level VBM sleeves. Remove from A seven point two one two the sentence: Whenever a unit is eligible for triple point blank fire versus known enemy units, it can only attack those units. Rationale. 
units in upper level buildings gain back freedom of fire yeah. when vehicles are conducting VBM sleaze below them. Okay. Absolutely should. Yeah. 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 They should. I remember being shocked by that rule. I had upper level dudes I thought I was avoiding the VBM. Yeah. And then the final one, uh, alternate depletion procedure for smoke. A vehicle slash unpinned crew may fire smoke without going through the C8.9 procedure only if its smoke current depletion number is eight or more, regardless of the outcome of the shot. It will not result in depletion for that shot, and the smoke depletion number goes down by two for the remainder of the scenario. The alternate procedure and the C8.9 procedure can be used in the same fire phase, but the alternate procedure cannot be used if C8.9 provisions are used first. Rationale, an insurance policy for smoke ammunition yeah. likely to be available. Nice. I so, agree with most of those. Yeah. So, and then he's got a few uh, examples here. Oh, and I'm sorry, there is one, uh, two more short ones. Uh, small mortar firing smoke. Amendment A, support weapon mortar firing smoke loses rate of fire after placing a second smoke counter. Oh, because you could blaze smoke all over the stinking place. Rich is going to be furious about that one. <laughs> he is. I've seen yeah, him place I think it's too much smoke. a lot of smoke. I think it's too much smoke. Yeah. That's and a good one. You just blind the whole enemy. Yeah. And then you just run right across the open ground. Yeah. It's... Okay. And then finally, uh, non-elimination of critical weapons. A non-vehicular gun or main armament that can only malfunction on an original die roll of 12 at the moment it fires and malfunctions will ignore disable results from subsequent repair attempts. Malfunction is shown by putting a special malfunction counter with a repair value of 1 and a non-existent break number. Rationale, to avoid that that the elimination yeah. of a critical piece of equipment fatally compromises a scenario. Mm-hmm. B-11 guns and main armament intensifier, as well as other cases, do not get this protection as they malfunction on a die roll of less than 12. Not sure I followed that while I was reading it, but... Um, I'm sure you all did. So there we go. Special uh, house rules for the ASL Open. If you don't agree with those, don't come. Yeah. Otherwise, be really angry. Otherwise, come to the ASL Open. You better read them before yeah. you come. Yeah. Acquaint yourself. Well, you know, Jeff, that's not the only tournament going on around here. There's it's more around here. Really? It's in the Northeast. The Northeast. The Northeast. The North East. The Northeast. The Nor'easter 21 tournament, which is coming in March of 2017. I am the Minister of Propaganda this year, and just wanted to do my job and get the word out about this fantastic tournament we have here in New England. Uh, Nor'easter 21 is March 30th to April 2nd, 2017, in Boxborough, Massachusetts, which is about 20 minutes west of Boston. It's going to feature a five-round main tournament, which starts on the Friday. A three-round tournament, which happens, mini-tournament, which happens on Friday. A three-round mini, which happens on Saturday. And what we call the Big Mofo Mini, which lasts all four days. Uh, Thursday the 30th is available for open gaming. If you're not in a mofo and you just want to get in that game with a buddy you haven't seen in a while, so on and so forth, it's a really good time. Uh, mentioned the mofo, it's going to be very interesting this year because it's going to feature a scenario called Gold Beach, which is from Monster Pack 2000 by the War Oboe Productions. This scenario has 24 boards. 
and eight sets of overlays with hundreds and hundreds of counters involved. It's going to be team play of either four or eight players, uh, depending on the interest. But, I mean, just think about it. That's just huge. And just checking that out is going to be pretty darn cool. <laughs> Anyways, um, full information is at www.yankeegamers.org. So I encourage people to please check it out. And there's room for everybody to play, and we welcome players of all skill levels from starter kit on up. Or even if you've never played before, just show up, and we'll show you how to play it. We do it all the time. Anyways, well, thank you guys once again for having a great podcast. I really enjoy it. Please keep, keep all the good work. Uh, listen to all your shows. And uh, enjoy. Have a great night. And thank you, Mike Sprague, for being a great minister of propaganda for the Nor'easter. And we'll continue to promote that as you have uh, so wisely found the advertising medium that is probably most effective. Yes. The two half squads. The two half squads. We had another caller, Listened to by millions. Another caller. Another first-time caller. Let her rip. Uh, Yes. Uh, My name is uh, Pete Umpkins from near Pittsburgh. Uh, I've been listening to your uh, podcast since uh, July of this year, up to about 100, episode 120 or so. I don't always listen to all the interviews, but I enjoy listening for the tips, uh, tactical tips, scenarios to play and like. Uh, Enjoy the banter and uh, keep that up. Uh, In one of your, several of your episodes, you mentioned about uh, which side to like to play, that kind of thing. And uh, I note I enjoy the unusual uh, combatants, such as uh, miners, uh, free French, free uh, Polish. Uh, Heard recently about uh, one of your podcasts about a Brazilian. Scenario, uh, Parsons. Been looking uh, to see if you know come out with an upgraded uh, Partisan uh, module, which I heard uh, or saw came across on a few years back. Been looking for uh, scenarios with the CBs. Uh, I've heard one called Soldiers of Construction, but uh, having some difficulty actually finding that. Uh, the links I keep finding are broken. But uh, all in all, I'd just like to say I uh, really enjoy the podcast. Uh, enjoy the banter, and just ask, uh, uh, you know, keep up the good work. Thank you. And thank you, Pete Yonkins. Thanks, Pete. Uh, yeah, Soldiers of Destruction. It was an early, I think it was a Backblast or something scenario. Hmm. I don't remember. Magazine, third party. Uh, yeah, something. I, I, know, I know I've played it, but I think they're working. Was it with the tractors? Armored tractors or something, and they're trying to lay down the landing zone. Yeah, they're making airfields. Making airfields. The Japanese yeah. are attacking. With yeah, the CBs. I'll take a look and see if I can find that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have it. I know I sold one set of my old fanzines off on eBay once, so hopefully it wasn't that set. Yeah, and Pete also ordered a hat. Oh, so, good man, very wise man. Announcement about hats for Canadian players. Um. Gonna have to ask thirty bucks because the shipping was like ten bucks. Yeah, that sounds about instead right. Instead of three, yeah, four. So, uh, still have uh, maybe five. We're down to. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's so. Yeah, if there's any left, we can uh, take them to the ASL Open and then uh, raffle them off or uh, have a auction. 
No. And Jeff, do you have a letter there? I'm glad you... I would say this show is brought to you by wonderfully kind listeners like Michael Sprague. Michael Sprague. Thank you. Oh, well, he's not a sponsor, but I rang his bell (laughs) in a respectful way. We have a little letter here from Bud, Bud Nicola who says, Hi, guys. There is a Puget Sound ASL group that meets every second Saturday at the town center at Lake Forest Park. This is in Seattle metro area. New players are welcome. I'm a beginner at ASL and still playing starter kit and beginning scenarios, but would be happy to connect with your correspondent. So thanks, Bud. Yeah, I guess we had somebody fairly recently that wrote us from the Seattle area and was looking for a group. So it's nice to know the Puget Sound group is out there. And I have an email from Richard Youngdahl. I want to say thank you for the time and effort put into the show. Please know it's appreciated. I played quite a bit of the original Squad Leader series back in the day in a little ASL when it was first released, but that was just about the time I was heading off to college. And Wargaming fell by the wayside. Fast forward many years, and I picked up the starter kits past this past summer to help pass the time during the recovery from surgery. And I was hooked again. I played through a few scenarios from each of the starter kits, mostly using Vassal. Also got some face-to-face games in and made a f- jump to full-on big boy ASL playing Gavin Take. The attached photo is of the two binders I created. Obviously, you guys are the inspiration for the covers. We have to post these on the show. Yeah, we will. Anyway, since last summer, I've been slowly making my way through your back catalog of episodes and have been enjoying them immensely. Keep up the good work, Richard. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much, Richard. And thanks for the photos. Oh, Jeff, are you going to the ASL Open or to the Easter? Uh, Not going to the Easter, no. I wish I would really like to see that mofo, the big mofo scenario. That would be awesome to see, but... I guess we'll. But we are going to gonna just, try and uh, do Texas. Yes. Yeah, an ASL Admitting open. Yes. Texas. I'd like open. to go to the ASL open. Good news about the ASL open. It now happens on my spring break. He moved <gasps> it up three weeks. Coincidentally, at least this year, it hits right on my spring break. So I'm, I would, I would be free to attend Thursday, Friday, all the days. Excellent. Except, do you know where I'm going to be on my spring break this year? Spain. Correct. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> can you believe it? The one year is on my yeah. break, and oh I'm like, oh, gosh. I can go. Wait, no, I can't. No, I'm in Spain. I'm in Spain. That's oh. not a very good uh, excuse. No, indeed. Yeah. Is uh, James the next one? Yes, but I'd like to also remind you, Jeff, that this show is made possible by donations from, from listeners like the wonderful. CW Podcast LLC, Carpororio. You know who you are. Thank you for the kind donation. Thank you very much. Got one here from James. Hi, I was watching up on my two half squads, and in episode 166, you mentioned getting a hat if I donate $20. Where's the hat? Couldn't see it on your website. Also, what's the best way to get you $20? Well, the best way to get us $20 is to drive here. Um, <laughs> and just, just come right to our homes and put it in our mailbox but uh no we sent him the link and uh, got him all squared away and i think we sent and james I sent the hat, the hat. Right? yes so, that one went yeah, to canada yeah, that, that was the reminder to say, ask for a little more money from canadians yeah. than the 20 bucks going up to ontario somewhere so uh all of you ontarians be on the lookout for a two half squads hat with a very handsome 
man underneath wearing it. And I have a letter from Kristen Clark. I think you should read it in an Australian accent. Could you do that? All right. No, but I will. <laughs> I didn't say a good Australian accent. Good day, two half-squads. I live in the out- outback Australia. Earlier this year, the global financial crisis caught me caught up to me, and I lost my job at 20 years. My wife and family will not move from our home, but since I've managed to find a new job, I'm not reading this very well, but 500 kilometers away. Well, that's that's a commute. Mm-hmm. So now I'm driving 500 kilometers to work, leaving to to work, leaving at 4 a.m. on Monday morning, and driving 500 kilometers home again Friday night. Often getting home around midnight. As I bash along dusty outback tracks, the stones and rocks pinging under my car, sounding like shrapnel hitting against the side of an aft track, I've got back into ASL recently because I've got a lot of time on my hands during the week. I'm spending about 10 hours a week driving in my car to and from work and have started listening to your podcasts. I'm listening to about 40 hours of your podcasts a month, which while verging on being a dangerous level, means I'm catching up on you faster than you're putting podcasts out. Please keep up the good work. You both seem to have a dry sense of humor, which I appreciate, and feels like I'm sitting at a table with you guys rather than listening to you some, something that you recorded years ago. I've started listening to Spine and Sprocket, too. Yay! In the episode on The Last Citadel, you discuss what it's like being in a claustrophobic tank, and there's not many movies about tanks. Oh, Give a movie called Lebanon a try. It's a movie set 100% in a tank. See what I did there? <laughs> By that I mean the only footage you see is the point of view of the tankers from inside the tank. Link to the trailer below. Signed, KC. That's the trailer I thought we had on the previous show. Lebanon. Okay, I do remember <clears throat> watching this and... Um, that looks good. That would. I wonder where we can get, get this. Yeah, we where, talked where about that see on that? last yeah. show. We're going to have to yeah. find it. Yeah. So well, thank we'll you, KC. We're yeah. we're sorry that you have to drive so far for your job. Hope that uh, gets a little easier on you. But glad we can be there with you. And Wayne Saunders says, "Hi, Jeff and Dave. One of your listeners mentioned that he preferred an actual sniper counter, as in the original SL squad leader. I think that's like the one that you move around instead of the random sniper. Oh, counter. yes, because there is right. a sniper counter. Yes, right. In ASL, yeah. Dispatches from the bunker released a scenario a year or so ago where there was a counter on one side. I can't recall the specific scenario, but I think the designer was Robert Hansen. I also PT'd an upcoming scenario for them, play tested that has two sniper counters on one side. Great fun and great value for the publication. There you go, Wayne. Thanks for uh, letting us know about that. All right, we talked about that, and uh, I think that's it. For letters, yeah? Well, we I would like to say, though, before we sign off on the letters, that this show has been made possible by kind donations from listeners like Stephen. Thank you, Steve A. Some of his donations were not that kind. No, that was that was the ones we'll do next time. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking of some. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking of the other ones. Oh, so thank you, Stephen. For your kind you know, let me cover this one very quickly. Then. Yeah. Uh, from Henry, just finished Dear Comrades episode, was inspired to write in, as per usual, a fun show that made me want to play some ASL. I discovered you guys through the Three Moves Ahead episode. Remember we were a yeah. guest on that? Yes. That's great. And since then, I've spent way too much money on the game. I don't have many people to play in the area. However, I might be taking a job in Evanston. 
So we just want to oh, wow. call Evanston, that out. Which is uh, close to us, about uh, 15 miles from here. Yeah, Henry, you're welcome to contact us when you get here. We'd be glad to try and get you set up with people. There's a couple different groups, but Evanston's a little far away, but it's doable. Yeah. It's doable for ASL. Yeah, it's about 45 minutes or so from here. No matter how you drive it, it's about 45 minutes. So, yes. But uh, I'm sure there are other players around that area, and of course, uh, we'd love to have you out sometime this way. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone, for the letters. We appreciate them. Keep writing. Jeff. Yes, Dave. Joe Jeff. Yes, Dave. I'm right here. Guess what's coming in mid-January. Another polar vortex to sit on our houses. <laughs> and make us not want to go out and do podcasts. Yeah, we're not going to want to go outside at all. So what could we do if we're stuck no, in the No, no, it won't be that. What, what is it going to be? It's going to be Into the Rubble 2. <gasps> you mean from Bounding Fire Productions? Bounding Fire Productions. Wow. Into the Rubble 2 is going to build on the initial um, Into the Rubble with 12 new and exciting scenarios. Ooh. In addition to the eight, which have been slightly revamped, sweet, gonna have new boards, overlays, and counters. Looking forward to it. I uh, I am too. And so, if you're stuck in your house in a polar vortex and you've got nothing to do, what better way than to order some stuff from Bounding Fire? Bounding Fire, trim those counters, and play those games. You Bounding Fire is a sponsor of the two half squads, and we are very happy to. To have them as sponsors of this show. Very happy. They make great products. I mean, there's just no question about it. I can't imagine that somebody doesn't have it, who plays ASL, doesn't have some Bounding Fire Productions. But if you don't, you're doing yourself a disservice. Stop what you're doing right now. Go order some stuff and then come back and listen to the rest of the show. We'll wait. Like, we're waiting now? Or? Uh, does it work that way? Or no. should we just continue? We'll continue on. Oh, yeah. Okay. They won't miss much. So then what's next, Jeff? Well, next we're going to, we're going to, we started, uh, ASL Journal 5 on the last show, and I think we should finish that up on this show. Yeah. We got up uh, to the, um, it's a segment we like to call What's in the Box. 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 Uh, nice little uh, magazine. Hey, Spock, what's in the box? You got your Fast Heinz here. This is a scenario J78. Going to talk about that later. Rommel's Remedy Desert. Can you say desert? Egypt's Last Hope. These are the ones that go Twisted Knickers, your favorite one, Jeff. Oh, Twisted Knickers. Those are the ones that become the campaign game or standalone. Then you have this Pavlov's House. Talk about that later. Make and take and bloody nose. Pitching in. Frontal Assault. Full Frontal Assault. Flames of Mish Unrest. Penny. I still remember playing this with Bob Holmstrom. The uh, Partisans have these little homemade flamethrowers. Oh, homemade. Using those fire mm. extinguishers. Yeah. And you can see them all strapped on them there as they're walking along. Just like Aunt B used to make. Just like Aunt B. She es was a partisan, I think, before uh, she moved to Mayberry. Escape to Wilts is in here. That sounds really familiar, but I think it was Road to Wilts in the original SL stuff or Code of or Cross Show Line. Off. And another version of Himmler's House. Wait. Oh. Pavlov's House or several Pavlov's House. I think there's a couple of Himmler's Houses too. Historical, non historical, different variations. Could be. So that. They're doing their. Uh, uh, no, never mind. 
<laughs> Gets to an article called Bay Games, 1994, by Jim Stoller. Mm-hmm. I'll read some of the intro here, and then he's going to break it down. He's going to review those different scenarios that he has upgraded. So, Ah, okay. That's right. It's a little history for you that I didn't know. In the late 80s and early 90s, Atlanticon had been on a big gaming convention in Baltimore around July 4th weekend, occasionally morphing into Origins, and then that convention returned when that convention returned to the area. That changed in 94 when the convention became smaller, changed its timing, changed its name to Bay Games, and moved to College Park, Maryland, and then disappeared altogether. Hmm. But Jim Stoller had been running the ASL team tournament at Atlanticon and publishing the results and the finished scenarios in the general. He held on for one last year in 94. This is his report of that final team tournament. Since the Avalon Hill Game Company didn't publish it, ti- it timely, we have been searching for the right time and place it to, to bring it to light. This may still not be the best place for it, since we are only printing two of the four tournament scenarios that to be updated. But we gave up the concept anyway, blah, blah. So, yeah, they should have published all four of them anyway, is what I think. But these were called rogue scenarios from the original. Remember that Jim is updating all the original squad leader stuff to yes. advanced squad leader? Right. And we interviewed Jim. Yes, we did. That these were rogue scenarios because many of them used the rogue boards 9, 10, and 11. Do you know why they were called rogue? I actually don't know why they I, I know rogue one. <laughs> You're not rogue going one. to see. No, I'm not going to see that. These were not included in any box module at the time. Oh. These three boards were also referred to as the uglies because in the original incarnation they deviated from the high standards of quality. Hmm. And then he's going to talk about these scenarios. Pavlov's house, J82. A street fight in Stalingrad with combined arms force of Germans attacking fanatical Russians holding on to key buildings with all their might. And then there is Fast Heinz. Now, this is a rather unusual one, to put it mildly. A large force of 17 Russian squads accompanied by a couple of tanks attack a town defended by a garrison of only two German squads, but then a ton of minefields and all this other kind ah. of stuff. And then the front in flames, W1, and Traverse Right Fire, W2. And so he talks about like changing the front in flames. Uh, originally, you diced to see who would set up first and move first. Mm-hmm. You don't see that very often. He found that whoever moved first would win, so he changed that around a little bit. And then he talks about, again, analyzing the rewrites, analyzing the scenario, and boy, it is thorough. Boy, yes, I can see that. He goes into great detail on how he did that. Page and a half just on that scenario there. Fast Hines. I did highlight a little, some stuff in there, I thought. No, I guess I didn't, but I, I remember thinking... You want an in-depth discussion about how to think about minefields mm-hmm. defensively? Read this article. Oh, I mean, okay. It's I would a scenario analysis. Yeah, but within that analysis is some great minefield information. Ah, okay. Strategy, tactics, channeling the enemy, how to put eight some mines on top of other mines to trick the enemy. All kinds of great ideas. Oh, wow, brilliant! Yeah, I never and I never would have thought to seek that out in an article. I would probably skip an article like right. that thinking, exactly I really right. don't have that much need to know about the historical... Or just the scenario ASL itself. Or, or the scenario itself, but yeah. But boom. Interesting. Whole, yeah. whole page, all about minefield strategy. I'll go back to that. Yeah. Traverse right fire, being updated as a scenario again. Similar ideas. And then that gets us to Acts of Defiance. 
by Matt Shostak. Right. Yeah, and this is again a you know Russian advantages, German advantages, an in-depth look at this marvelous scenario that includes the Panzerfaust, you know, bearing Hitler Youth in the south in the sewers. Do you remember that? Oh you ever yeah, that one? I do. Yeah, uh, all kinds of great stuff. Goliaths, T-44s for the Russians, a terrain that changes with the rubble a little bit each time you play it. It's quick and short. So Matt lays out a. Great analysis of that article, including this column I didn't get to on Goliaths of Defiance to learn how to use a Goliath. Mm, okay. Maybe we can keep that and do a show on Goliath sometime. Yeah. We'll have to make a note that that's in this yeah. issue and dig it out again. Okay. They, uh, then they have the view down the road where they predict what's coming up for ASL. And in this one, they basically got everything out they mentioned. Not all, Oh, no. Uh, we have a bunch of products featuring historical map sheets in the well in the works. Ortona, little Stalingrad, and then followed by Kibler's Red October. Well, that they're still going to be getting out. They're still working on it. And then at the last article is heads up, heads down. AFV passengers and crews by Ian Daglish. Ah, and you remember when we first talked to Ian, yeah. he was quizzing us on all these various little rules about half tracks. Yeah, I, I don't know if that. you recall that. And I yeah. was telling him, uh, my, I'm not that good at it, those things. And he opens with a, a great quote. I think you might appreciate this. Someone once said, I hope to die in my sleep like my grandfather, not yelling and screaming like the passengers in his car. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Isn't that a good one? <laughs> I don't know how he relates that. Oh, in ASL, AFV crews and their passengers may suffer a variety of ill effects, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to go over some little tactical advice here from Ian. Closed-topped armor-finding vehicles are easy. They're the only they're only crew-exposed if they're marked crew-exposed. So, again, you know, yeah. it gets tricky who's buttoned up and who's not. Yes, it does. If subject to pin or stun, they button up immediately and they may not regain crew exposed status until subsequent friendly movement phase or advance phase. The ASL system includes only one closed topped armor fighting vehicle with passenger carrying capability the Renault. Really? UE. That's the only closed top passenger vehicle. Okay. And in this unique case, well, that's unique, we won't say. Oh, there's the Casa. Komsomolets was introduced in Armies of Oblivion that can carry passengers. Note by the editors, since Ian had written oh, okay. the article. Now, open-topped AFVs... I think that Renault is pretty... Uh, doesn't carry <laughs> many, either. It's just no, it seems... I think it's small. Small, like a half-squad, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> Ian had gone out uh, and asked a bunch of experienced players some simple questions. If you have an SP... 251-1, the most common German half-track, right? Yeah. Carrying as a passenger a 467 squad. Mm-hmm. If the squad becomes pinned, but the inherent crew pass their separate pin check, mm-hmm. what do you place on the vehicle to mark it? Oh. Uh, no idea. Yeah. A lot of different answers yeah. you got. Uh, if... Another one. If a broken squad rallied in the half track, 
How soon can it regain Kruxbo's status? I would say during the movement phase. I think it ends up being that way, but yeah. there's a lot of hesitation. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> now, voluntary change, he calls this part. He says, this is, our half-tracks passengers and crew can choose to change their status during their own movement phase or advance phase, but must do so together. There is either no counter indicating that everyone is crew exposed, or there's a buttoned-up counter on top of the squad showing that everyone is heads down. Okay. So you, so can't, you can't have the crew one way and the squad another way? So far. Ah. Okay. <laughs> ah. You didn't think it would be that easy, did you? No, not really. Incidentally, while that buttoned-up counter is in place, no one on the half-track is going to be firing at anything. Right. Uh, it's best, Okay. Now, do not try arguing about the half tracks that the half tracks machine gun is mounted on its bow. Okay, which would mean normally you could shoot that thing, right? Yeah. Uh, D one point eight one is clear. Bow mounted, bow mounted machine gun means BMG, and the vehicle has only AAMG. Yes, the half track could still do an overrun and blah blah blah. Now, starting with the easiest for shock and stunning, a shock affects the vehicle, not the PRC, passengers, riders, crew. We're clearly instructed in C7.41 to place a shock counter over everything while the crew and passengers simply wait the fate of their vehicle. Stun is only a little more complicated. In our half-track, the crew fails its morale check. The AFV is marked with a stun counter. Now, where the counter is placed, it doesn't say, Right. But since both inherent crew and passengers are affected equally, they become buttoned up. It makes sense to put the counter on top of the pile. And then he gets into these uh, intricate other options. And I'm just going to, with that as the introduction, guide the people to this nice little chart here in the back, which I think I need to add into my file. Mm-hmm. Suggested counterplacement based on the pin status of the inherent crew and the passenger MMC. And then he shows um, how it should be placed with the, if the crew is pinned, put the pin under the squad, because you can't have a, the crew itself. So I think he treats the vehicle as the crew, placing the pin on the vehicle underneath the squad that's inside. And then the buttoned up on the squad, because the squad's buttoned up, but it is not pinned. Uh, other example, the multi-man counter is pinned, but not the crew. Then he shifts it, puts the buttoned up counter on the vehicle, because the crew was not pinned, and the pin counter on the squad. See how that makes sense? And then if there's no pin, you just uh-huh. put the buttoned up like normal. Okay. You maybe got to look at the diagrams yeah. and get it. Um, basic, no, it's easy. You put the red pin counter on the vehicle if it's the crew and on the squad if it's the squad that's pinned. Oh, I see what you're saying. You got to yes, switch the right. order. You don't just lay the pin on top. Right. Because that's everybody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, he walks through some comprehensive examples here. An IFT attack on a crew exposed half track gets a normal morale check. The crew gets an eight, which pins. Put the pin on the vehicle. The crew remains crew exposed, but fires the AAMG with penalty. Squad rolls a seven and pins. Put a single pin counter on top of the stack. The squad is now buttoned up because everyone's pinned. Okay. 
You don't need the button-up counter. Yeah. And so on. There's uh, what are you looking at over there, sir? Well, I was just that finishes the magazine. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, I'd, I'd like to look at that article. I'm just looking at Rich Spilkey's Table Three, which is the half-track carrier inherent inherent crew passenger IFT firepower capabilities after having been fired upon and causing a result on the IFT. So he's got a chart here that shows uh, similar things. Who gets pinned? You know, does the passenger get pinned? And what about the inherent crew or the armor leader? Are they okay or do they get pinned? Oh. Uh, so it's all together here on chart number three. And I, or Except table number three. he doesn't tell you then how to place the counters on top so there's no confusion. No, he doesn't do that. That's I don't what, see that's that. That's what Ian. Yeah, and I see that's what Ian is doing. Yeah, right. that's what Ian adds into that. Right. Yeah, I'd have to ask Rich and see how he differentiates that himself in that case. Um, and I don't see him. He didn't put anything in on here about that placement of the counters so interesting now ian was a very detailed guy very detailed oriented yeah guy. whereas you and i just yeah. kind of go which guy was pinned i forget yeah this guy or that guy Let's i don't just know say it was one That's, of them yeah have more pretzels it. have more pretzels and beer well uh i'd say journal five was very worthwhile to own people don't own it go get it indeed what if they're going to reprint any of these or they should offer them on pdf i think don't you think yeah, uh, mmp should make a lot of sense just offer them for free i mean it's been years since it's been in publication and i don't know that's just me for free Dave, I have some questions for you. Yes, sir. Is it about buttoned up or pinning? In a... No, this is a little bit more enjoyable than that. Hmm. Where do you go when you want to get a fix on ASL? Well, am I specifically shopping for a BFP product, or am I looking for almost any uh, ASL product by any manufacturer? Any ASL product by any manufacturer. Well, then I might have to go to Ritterkrieg. That would be wise. Because at Ritterkrieg.com, it's a one-stop shop for all of your ASL needs. Well, most of them. Most all. Yeah. It's a great website. You can get information about what's the latest thing from MMP and third-party publishers. He's also got some great blog posts and some videos on I know, scenarios for, that for, he's been playing. For which my... Is for my entertainment needs, yeah. I go to, to yeah. Ritter Creek yeah. and I, video I watch replay. the Civics Ridge video replay. Yeah. Really good stuff. And But really, I like buying stuff from Ritter Creek. And one of the reasons is... Free shipping. I love that free shipping. Can. He's got great prices. You betcha. He ships with tender, loving care, which you don't get most places. And no, it's free sir. in the continental United States. Anyway. Yeah. And do you know right now, well, as of the show... Which is December eighteenth, two thousand sixteen. Yeah, Yanks is on sale for one hundred and two bucks. Yeah, so very good prices. You can also pre-order at Ritter Creek. Right, Red he's, Factories, Red October. Yeah, yep, the reprint of Festum Budapest. Yep, he's already taking orders for Into the Rubble Two from Bounding Fire Productions, which will be coming out in January sometime. So. Head on over to Ritter Creek. Whether you have money or not, go there <laughs> and find some money. Your last dollar, send it to Ritter Creek. No, actually, send it to the two half squads. 
Yeah, we'll send it to Ritter. Yeah, we'll get that taken care yeah. of for you. Yeah, but it's a great website, and we're thanking them for being a sponsor of the two half squads. And now we'll continue with what's in the box. With what? What's in the box? What is in that box? Well, this is from Lone Canuck Publishing. We had recently interviewed Mr. Kelm. Yes, we have. And probably a year ago. Or he has something. sent his newest packet just out, boys and girls, and it is called. Blitzkrieg in the West, Northern Campaign. Ah, it rolls off the tongue. Blitzkrieg in the West. Six scenarios compatible with ASL and other similar miniature wargaming systems. Hmm. Can't even imagine playing anything else. Yep, beautiful cover. Some SS soldiers with a nice black cover. Blitzkrieg in the West, the Northern Campaign. For months, the phony war had waged on when suddenly the quiet early morning hours of May 10th were disrupted by the drones of the JU-52s crossing the German-Dutch border. By sunrise campaign game. Hmm? What the heck? Is it? It's a campaign game, huh? You've not looked at this before. Six scenarios. No, I I like to open them live. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I like that too. The six scenarios of Blitzkrieg in the West, Northern Campaign, may be linked to form a campaign game by playing each of them in order. Okay. Right. Maybe played that way. Yeah. With the winner of BWN one to five scenarios being awarded attachment credits. Hmm. Campaign game victory. At the conclusion of each scenario, both sides total up their victory points. And at the end of the last scenario, these are totaled, and the side with the most victory points wins. If tied, then the campaign ends in a draw. Ooh, I don't like draw things. You can always have a roll of dice or something. Or play another scenario and just add Yeah, or a duel. A a live duel. With both sides getting a marginal victory. Uh, These scenarios are designed with replayability in mind. Each features a base force and variable attachments to that force. Base forces and variable attachments are based on historical availability for that scenario. At the start, you make a secret die roll to determine what variable attachment they have, and most attachments are added to the at-start order of battle. Attachments? There's more rules, four yeah. and five. Oh, four and five? You did three? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Attachment. Attachment credits can be used to change the variable attachment die roll in a subsequent scenario by plus or minus one for each attachment credit spent. Any attachment credits that are unused may be carried over to the next scenario in the campaign. This option rewards good performance by giving successful commanders some discretion in the forces attached for subsequent assignments. Then number five, the bonus attachment credits. If a side has not only achieved victory in a scenario, but does so decisively, they may be entitled to bonus attachment credits that must be used the next scenario, or else they are lost. Okay, I'm getting it. I have the sheet here where it lists the all these scenarios, six scenarios, and it tells you the victory points. For example, should I start with one? Yeah. You get five points to the winner plus one point per five combat victory points amassed, and minus one for every five suffered. You know what that's doing for the players, right? 
when you get extra points for wiping out the enemy and you lose points for losing your own forces, mm-hmm. it's going to make you to be more uh, cautious. I mean, well, more um, real real life. You don't want, you know, you always say they're just cardboard. Yeah. So I'm going to send them in the street to die. Yeah. If you do that, you're going to lose points. Right. And not be able to win. Okay. The campaign game, the mini campaign yeah. game here. Okay. Then that's the attachment credit is plus one to the winner. And then the bonus is if the Germans win and there are no unbroken Dutch with line of sight and within 10 hexes of a bridge, the Germans get two bonus points. Okay. So it lays out a few more requirements mm. for the victory. If the Allies win and they have a mass greater than or equal to 14, they get the two bonus points. So it gives you a, it looks like it's going to give us a sub um, victory condition that you can add on to your normal one. Yeah. So do you have a scenario? Do you want to look at one? Uh, yeah. All right. So for that scenario, for example. So the victory conditions are the Germans win at game end by controlling. Uh, this uh, takes place on board 40 and board U. The Germans win at game end by controlling the board 40, Q2, and 3 bridge, providing there are no unbroken Dutch multi-man counters with a line of sight and less than or equal to five hexes from the bridge hex. So you're saying if they... So that's the base one that's to get the base, the base five points. Okay. And then if they do these other attachment credits, then they can gain then more points. Then they get a, they get a bonus. Okay. Because you want to score. <clears throat> it looks like I have the victory table over here. So so then you can start the next scenario with some sort of advantage? That I haven't figured out yet. Okay. So how do you spend the point? I don't think my, you is can. My, oh. Is what, I want, what I'm wondering. Well, I think you're taking the points to win the victory. There's the victory table. So you oh, can see okay. For overall, for the for the uh, the overall victory table for the campaign game, I see. So if I have thirty plus points, you get a strategic victory. If you have twenty five to twenty nine points, it's a major victory. Twenty four to twenty four points, a tactical victory. Sixteen to nineteen points, a marginal victory. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would have to see what the. Atta- I don't understand why it's called attachment, but you know, I'm. New. I think it's additional. Yeah. Additional. Well, I'm looking at the at the scenario, oh, each and then scenario. there's different. Yeah, so there's a base force, and then there's, for instance, in this scenario, there's group one, two or three, two or three. Okay. So each scenario features a base force and variable attachments to that force. Base forces and variable attachments are based on historical availability for that scenario. Okay, not necessarily historical use. Right. At the start of each scenario, each player makes a secret die roll to determine what variable attachment they will have available for their side. Most attachments are added to that side's at start order of battle. But you can also have these credits from winning previous ones, I guess, from winning previous scenarios. Uh, well, for example, on the Velu um, Blitzkrieg in the West scenario two, yeah, the base force is the Fifth Hussar Regiment, Hussars, Hussar, Hussars, which is six squads, some half squads, leaders, stuff, wire trenches, pillboxes, and then you roll a die one, two, or three, you get. Two of these armored cars with the 37L guns. Okay. Roll a four or five. You get two more squads with motorcycles. 
Roll a six, you get two more squads with cavalry, okay. cav, and leader. But if you've got these, if you've won these attachment credits from previous scenarios, I think you you just get a little more ability to choose rather than rely on the die roll. Oh, okay. Uh, to select for you, gives the commander some discretion in the forces that are attached for subsequent assignments. So, and the scenarios, just looking really quick, let's just real. They're uh, all nineteen forty. Is that? Yeah, right. Well, they would they would all be pretty close to the same dates early on in the war. And so the first scenario, I've, I assume, is around May 10th or something like that, 1940? Yeah. Second one is May 11th, the one I had just described with the reinforcements, could be right. cab and stuff. So it's the all take place in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And some of these are a little bigger than other. Here's number number three, Schweissbartblut is uh, four boards. Well, it's just part of four boards, but, um, and six turns. So they're not, they're, they're not all very long. Number five, number four is the next day, two boards. So it looks kind of cool. I, I like these. And I don't know that we have ever played a Lone Canuck scenario. I don't. I have not yet. Yeah. So he had sent this on over here. It was for really our, nice of him to send that. For our perusal. And we've and bought enjoyment. some stuff from him in the past and it's, Good quality scenarios. Yes, they yes, look like have. fun. Mm-hmm. They're well reviewed on uh, various social media. So uh, looking forward to giving these a try. And these also come. Oh, with... it comes with counters. <gasps> comes with counters. Who Twelve knew? vehicles for the Germans, including a Krupprotsky truck. That sounds a little Polish. There. Look, it's got the little Lone Canuck symbol on it in red. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I got a little Panzer here. 20L. Very light armor. One and one. Panzer 2A. So those exist in the game. These are just special ones, maybe? Yeah, probably. And being early war, they're probably, you know, fairly low. Yeah, armor. Low firepower, low armor. Yeah, 20L gun is not going to be that great a kill. Yeah. Oh, he has a, a, a vehicle ID number on it. Of D. So maybe there's a three in the original set. I don't know. But uh, also then he's got in some counters for the six Veld infantry gun. Hmm. No gun shield, 57 artillery piece. Two of, two of those for, okay. for the um How many counters come all together? Was it 12? Yeah. Okay. Of the vehicles and two of the guns. So it's nice. Yeah, very nice. Nice stuff. Put that in our queue, Jeff. Play through all six of these in a a row. Yeah, that would be fun. Be nice to play this time of the war also. Yes. Early war again. Early war, I like. Coming up against a lot of the Dutch uh, defenses and placements, trenches, pillboxes. On my two cards, are yours more defensive oriented for the Dutch? Can you tell? Let's see. Um... So uh, number three involves the Germans uh, controlling a level two hill. Yep, so they'll be attacking there. So they're attacking there. And then number four is the Germans are exiting. So they're just uh, running across the boards, it looks like. This is an interesting one. It has a simultaneous setup and first move randomly determined. Oh, we were just talking about that from the Stoller article. Yep. I kind of like the idea. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And then a number five, the German wins at game end by amassing more victory points than the French. Okay, here we're, we're fighting the French, and they are, this is another one with their, 
both sides set up and then it's randomly determined who moves first, which is kind of cool. And the final one, number six, Radon Mordjik. Mordjik. Yeah. The Germans win a game end by controlling the bridge. The side that destroys the bridge automatically loses. Oh, <laughs> sounds like so a you don't want to Dave do Goldman rule for his yeah, tournaments. Or fighting the French and the Dutch. Nice, great little pack. So yeah, Lone cool. Canuck. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm really intrigued by these. And again, he says it can be played separately, but um, I would I would go ahead and absolutely try and get through the. You know, I like to play them all in a pack anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. do them in order. I think that would got be fun. a little chart. Add up your victory points per game. Roll right along with that. Think we can get that done in 2017? Ah, it's possible. We're gonna try. So everybody, check out Lone Canuck's website, which is uh, well. We'll put the link on the website. Yes, on we our will. Website. And is that going to wrap up a show, Jeff? I think it is. We've done another great job. Oh, it's Lone. It's LoneCanuckPublishing.ca is the website. Uh, yeah, we've done a great job. Well, I just got to tell you, another high quality show in the can. How do Looks we do like it? it? That's I don't know. Just keep doing it. Just keep. Plugging away. Thanks, everybody, for continuing to listen to us after all these years. We're starting our ninth year, and we're glad you're still along on the ride with us. For those of you who have been away, we're glad you're back. For those of you who are leaving, so long. (laughs) I know. Come back. Oh. Come back, people leaving. What is with that? Yeah. Don't be gone long. Yeah. Don't thanks let the door everybody. Hit you in the butt on the way Dave, out. always great to see you. And, and, yes, and Jeff, thanks for having I me. I must say publicly that I really enjoyed playing D and D with you last night. You're most excellent uh, dungeon master. You always make it fun with things move along, and it's a good time. It, it really ended up well. You guys brought yeah. a lot to the table. Yeah, everybody was, was awake last night, which was, yeah. which was good. <laughs> which was good. Thanks for that and all your many hours of gaming fun. And you've got a birthday coming up. Is that right? I do. Okay. Well, send your gifts to Dave Kleinschmidt. You can find the address by writing mm-hmm. us. Just write us. I'll send it right out to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and we'll see you next time, everybody. All right, goodbye, everyone. Remember to low roll. Uh, low <laughs> roll, roll on you. Low roll. roll. Roll low. And well rally. But. But plain. Keep your pants on. Yes. As, as Yoda would say, low roll will you. <laughs> and rally well. But plain not when you are us, I think. <laughs> Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Lightsaber. Smack people with a stick. Oh, I bet he does. Okay. Oh, yeah. Remember when he was he'd smack on R two. R two was trying to sw- swipe oh, the little just... flashlight back from him, and he was whacking on. Him yeah, that's cane. that's where I got that whacking yeah. bit from. Yeah, but R two is just a it's robot. Kind of a nut. Do robots have feelings too?